Welcome to the Resonate Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Pastor Jacob. If I ask you one question this morning, and you had to answer it, and I will allow you to answer it, what's the most important thing in life, in all of life? If I ask you that, I'll give you a minute to think about it, because I asked some of my kids this morning, and I'm just trying to think what their reply was. I think Justice might have said something like, to breathe or food. It's pretty good. No, what'd you say? Living is the most important thing. And I think Zayda might have said to know Jesus, pastor's kid. <laughs> but if I was to ask you what's the most important thing in life, what might your answer be? Does anyone want to shout it out? Penny? To eat. to eat. Penny, anything else? Sleep. Family? Sleep? The rabbit oats. <laughs> Very good. We've got some discipling to do. The bulldogs are way more important than the rabbit oats. But many people think today that the most important thing in all of life is to believe in God. And I believe the most important thing in life is to know God, to love God, and to love like God. But this idea in our world that many people go, well, the most important thing in life is that I know God. And it's led to a situation that many people claim they believe in God, but they actually have no idea of who the God is that they believe in. And there are many religions in the world today that present many different pictures or frame different views of God. I read a story this last week of a Muslim a man who used to teach the Quran, then converted at some point to Christianity. And according to him, what led him to the conversion was when he was presented with a true picture of a loving God. And this happened when the story um, of the woman at the well caught in adultery was presented to him. This woman was brought to Jesus to be stoned as was the custom, as was the law of the day. But Jesus responded with love and sent the woman home without condemning her with the words, go and sin no more. According to the converted man, the the Muslim faith, the Quran has a similar story about an adulterous pregnant woman. And the woman was brought before the Prophet Muhammad and he decreed that she should be allowed to have the child before then coming back to the court and another decision would be made about her. And after she delivered the baby, He again brought her before him and it was uh, then decided that she was allowed a period of time to breastfeed the baby and then when the baby was weaned, she had to come before him again. After weaning the child, she was brought before the prophet and this time he decreed that she should be taken out and stoned to pay the penalty for adultery. The converted man saw nothing wrong with this because at the time his concept of God was completely different from the Christian concept of God. He had always believed the Muslim viewpoints and the behaviour of Jesus like conflicted with his idea, with his picture of who God was. But according to him, the first time he saw God as he really is was this story about the woman at the well caught in adultery, should have been by all means stoned but was forgiven, was shown love. He saw God as a God of love for the very first time. 
A great loving father, not a big boss. You can believe in God, but if you have a false concept of God, then you're ultimately no better off than someone who doesn't believe in God. Jesus Christ became a man to reveal to us exactly who God is. He came to reveal to us the character and the nature of God. He came to reveal God as the loving and forgiving Father. It's not just enough to believe in a God. We also need to know God, to know His nature, to know His character and understand that His love for us is like that of a loving Father. And I know I preach a lot about that. But unless we absolutely grasp that reality of God as a loving father rather than a big bad boss, we will never live in the truth and love and freedom that we are designed to live as sons of the great father. Another story I read and I just I did a lot of reading this week was about a certain uh, medieval monk who announced that he'd be preaching the next Sunday in his church um, on the love of God. And as the shadows fell and the lights ceased to come through in the cathedral windows, the congregation gathered around, wondering, what's he going to preach on? And in the darkness of the altar, the monk lit a candle and he carried it to the crucifix. And first of all, he illuminated the crown of thorns. Next, he illuminated with that one candle the two wounded hands. Then he illuminated the marks of the spear, the wound in Jesus' sides. And in the hush that fell, he blew out the candle and he left the chapel because sometimes there's nothing more to say. See, in the Bible, we see Jesus, the Son of God, as a mirror image of God the Father. And that image is of extravagant, maybe even reckless love. And now just as Jesus is God's Son, Scripture paints a picture that we are all sons of God. And I know in the modern day that we live in, We say it differently, right, where we're inclusive and and we live in a world where everyone's outraged by absolutely everything and so we water down things and we say that we're all sons and daughters. But I want to suggest to us today that we're sons. That's how the Bible frames it. Ladies, you might not like it, but you're sons. Sons in the biblical text refers to heirs of the fathers, There's a greater depth of family there. There's a greater depth of inheritance, a greater depth of belonging there. So when I preach sons, it's referring to all of us as the children of God, but we're sons, we're heirs. We don't need to change Scripture to suit our day and age. We just need to teach the meanings around it and teach and be people that are countercultural and not outraged by every opportunity to be outraged. You know, us men have a few things we've got to handle too, right? The Bible talks about us all being the bride of Christ. Now, it's hard for a bloke to handle that we're brides of Christ, but we can just learn it, understand it, deal with it, not be outraged and move on. So today is Father's Day. And for many of us, we think about our fathers or we think about being a father or think about not having a father. A whole range of varied emotions come with a day like this. Most of you know I don't have emotions. Um, I'm not much of a crier. Um, For those that don't know, I have limited emotions and it can be a good thing and it can be a bad thing, um, but it's my thing. Um, I've only ever cried at approximately five times in my adult life, a couple of near moments where I nearly showed emotions, Um, but, but absolutely Waterworks cried five times in my adult life. Say since the age of 14, um, 
to the last 20 years. But I think the second most recent time that I did cry was when my father passed away. I didn't cry during the sickness. I didn't cry the moment we were told that it's terminal cancer. I didn't cry that moment when I left the hospital speaking to my dad for the last time. And anyone who's lost a parent, there's that moment when you go, hang on, this is my last time I'm going to speak to him. And it's surreal and it's weird. Um, I didn't cry at the last conversation. I didn't cry when I received that phone call. It was emotional. I, like, and I remember the, the moment. I remember the room. I remember every part about it. I didn't cry. I was privileged to conduct his funeral. I was able to be the pastor of his funeral and do the whole funeral. But when the coffin was taken out and into the hearse, it just got me. See, my dad was my hero, and in this earthly sense, so much of who I wanted to be and who I am has been shaped around me trying to be like him, me trying to be that mirror image of him. And then then one day the reality was that he was gone. No more phone calls, no more coffees, no more chatting. It was tough. That special bond was just gone. And it's easy to feel sad and lost on Father's Day for many of us who no longer have our earthly fathers or who have never had our earthly fathers, or if we are fathers and have lost sons. But as we frame a reality around the idea of fatherhood, we would do well to look at God. And as we look at God, we'll understand and know what it is like to be a great father. Because if we frame fatherhood around our own experiences in earthly terms, the view we frame would be largely different. Your view would be different to my view and, and someone else's view. And we wouldn't have this true understanding of what it is to be a great father. I want to read out Luke chapter 15. It's in your Bibles. And I want to read the entirety of the chapter. It gives us three parables, one about a lost coin, one about a lost sheep, and one about a lost son. Each one is actually a story to illustrate to the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees are these people who believe in God but don't actually know the nature of God and therefore don't really know or understand God. But it's to illustrate to them the extravagant love of God the Father. Luke 15, I'm reading from the New International Version. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he leave the 99 in the open country to go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Then he goes on to tell the second parable in number 8, uh, verse 8. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Now silver coins are worth a fair bit more than a piece of uh, silver coin is today. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. 
Then it goes to verse 11, the parable of the lost son. We also know it as the, the prodigal son parable. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me a share of my estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the young son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, then squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs are eating, but no one gave him anything. Verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a young goat, not even a young goat, so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you fatten, you kill the fattened calf for him. Verse 31, my son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we have to celebrate and be glad because your brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. See, each one of these parables deals with this truth and tension. The owner, the shepherd and the father are most concerned for what they once had but have now lost rather than what they know to be safe and what they know to be right. They paint us a picture of God, our Father, who is the true measure of fatherhood, as a God who because of extravagant and potentially even reckless love for those under his care, displays behaviours that to me points to marks of a great father. So I want to give us three marks of a great father from Luke 15 this morning. And the first one is the first mark of a great father is persevering love. In that first parable it says, doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country to go after the lost sheep? And the key word here that I want you to get is until he finds it. It's a really important word, that until. It doesn't say that he goes out for a bit in chance of, of maybe. He says until. There's something about a persevering love. God 
loves us so much. He won't give up on us. There's an until that comes with it. The Father loves us. Most of our journeys of faith can relate to this. We're lost in our sins and God the Father is pursuing us and persevering with us. All of our testimonies or most of our testimonies, our journeys to salvation usually have many God moments. Where God is speaking to us and we kind of know that that's something of God and then we draw closer to Him and then all of a sudden, because of sin or, or reckless abandonment, we just pull away from God. And he doesn't just go, well, you had your chance, buddy. It's until. And all of a sudden you have another God moment. And you get close to God and maybe even you start to, you know, start to learn to know him. And then all of a sudden we mess it up with reckless living. God doesn't go, well, there you go. That's two strikes and, and you're out. There's an until that's written in love that... The Father's pursuing us. He's persevering out of love until the lost is found, is safe, back under the shepherds. Now I'm speaking to fathers today, but it can be speaking to everyone. Fathers, what's your until? I'm not going to stop praying until. I'm not going to stop believing for until. I'm not going to stop hoping until. See, a great father's love is persevering. It's until. The second mark is boastful love or delightful love. It says, rejoice with me in this passage. I have found my lost coin. And it actually doubles down on both the first two parables. The same thing happens. When the lost thing was found, it's invite the neighbours because we're going to rejoice, because we're going to celebrate. The truth is when I find my wallet... That's often lost. I'm glad because it's, it's usually got some notes in it and some cards and I'm happy. But I don't call my neighbours to celebrate because it's just my what Like it's, you know, if I win the lottery, right, I'll probably celebrate a little bit harder. But here it's saying, no, no, no. The thing that you, you previously had owned and is now lost is found. Celebrate that. And it's the truth is God delights in us. He loves us so much. He's, he's boastful and delightful in his love for us. You know, heaven rejoices in one thing. It's not when they find a cure to cancer. It's probably not when Hawthorne win another premiership this year. Jesus is a Hawks supporter. It's not when the iPhone 11 comes out. It's not when the electric car becomes self-driving and we don't have to drive anymore, but when a lost person is found. When a person accepts the Father's love and sacrifice, that's when the angels rejoice. That's when heaven explodes in celebration. You know, Psalm 37 verse 23 states that God delights in every detail of our lives. God's love is boastful. Thirdly, God's love is undeserved love. Now from that third parable, the third story, I love that line when the the sons come home and the father's so excited and he says to his servants, quick, bring your best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. The truth is he didn't deserve it. He didn't deserve a coming home party. He asked in advance for his inheritance, rude, 
He went and spent all his money on grogs and prostitutes from all we can um, gather. He owned nothing. So he didn't deserve a new robe, the best robe. He didn't deserve even a pair of sandals. He definitely didn't deserve the fattened calf. He'd bankrupt his inheritance. And truthfully, the son knew that he didn't deserve it. And so he didn't expect it. He states that, you know, the servants are treated pretty well. I'd be, I'd be happy with that. But the robe, the ring, the sandals, the party were a show from the father that he loves above and beyond what is deserved. And so a question for us, do we love others even when it's undeserving? Because it's easy to love someone when they've been kind to us, when they've been great to us, when they deserve our love. But if our husband or wife hurts us, do we love like the great father? When our kids disobey us, do we show them undeserving love? When our friends disappoint us, do we show undeserving love? If our parents have failed us, potentially one of the most hurtful things in life, do we still show them undeserved love? Father's love, a good father's love, a great father's love is a persevering love. It's a proud and boastful love and it's an undeserving love. And those traits are ones that we could and should mirror in our lives. Because just like I wanted to be like my earthly father, I also want to be like my heavenly father. And I want him to shape who I become. I want to love like he loves. I want to leave us with this thought today, and it's been, I don't know, just pressing on my heart this week. I felt God say, heat up the barbecue. Right? What are you talking about, Jacob? Glad you ask. It's a prophetic statement. See, on Kezia's dad's birthday two weeks ago, um, we were coming for lunch. Kezia's dad knew we were coming, just not exactly when, and we had the meat for the barbecue. Now, 15 minutes before we got there, so just as we're coming through Cabago, I said to Kez, send your dad a text saying to heat up the barbecue. We're on our way. The reply came back. It was already done. Right? There was an expectation that we would soon be there. Right? In the parable of the lost son, the father says to his servant, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. What were they celebrating? They were celebrating restoration. They were celebrating renewed belonging and renewed togetherness. Now, see, one thing I love about this father is that this father never gave up on his son. He couldn't follow Facebook and just keep an eye on the crazy antics that his son was getting up. They, they weren't friends on Facebook or Instagram. He didn't know, but there was just something in him that he never gave up on his son, right? Because it says, bring the fattened calf, not bring a. Bring the fattened calf. The servant knew exactly what he was talking about. I kind of think the father was ready for the day his son would come home. The robe's in the cupboard and it's ironed up well. The ring, which the son didn't deserve, just sitting there. New set of sandals. And he had one special calf, prophetically sitting in the side paddock, getting fattened to perfection. It was the fattened calf, not just a calf from the general herd. It made me think, I wonder how many fattened calf had turned into cows while the young son was off, living a reckless life, ruining his inheritance. I wonder how many times that fattened calf 
got sent out to the field to become a cow and the disappointment on the dad's face. That, no, I thought that would have been the calf that we would have come together for again. But he didn't let that real hurt and real disappointment turn into resentment. And out of extravagant love, out of love that perseveres, love that boasts, love that's undeserved, he quietly went about getting another calf prepared and fattening another calf. And as time went on, probably another one, putting aside the disappointment and another one, putting aside disappointment. And he never let the disappointment and the hurt that was real affect him to the point that he stopped loving, that he stopped believing, that he stopped hoping. And maybe it's three or four years now. The Bible doesn't tell us, but the father had a robe ready. The father had a ring ready. The ring, a symbol of sonship, of family, of you belong here. And when the son left, which hurt and devastated the father to no end, the father decided in his heart, when my son comes back, I'll be ready. I'll keep that barbecue warm. He didn't wait for his son to ask for forgiveness. He didn't wait till he got it. And he didn't wait till he got in. I told you so, son. just waiting each day, clothes ready, ring ready, barbecue hot, looking out in the distance, waiting for the day, out of love, out of love that perseveres, out of love that's boastful, out of love that's undeserving for his son to come home. And so he would have that fattened calf ready because the restoration barbecue, the celebration party will happen. It's prophetic love. Ultimately, and I felt God say for us, church, heat up the barbecue. And it's a sign to say don't give up of hope of restored relationships in our lives. Not just don't give up hoping, but be prepared for it. Be expectant of it. For some here today, it's restored relationships with fathers. For some here today, it's restored relationships with mothers. For some here today, it's restored relationships with children. For some partners, for others, co-workers, for others, brothers and for others, friends. Let's mirror the Father's love and be prepared. Don't just wait for the other person to say sorry. Heat the barbecue up. A prophetic sign that you will love undeservingly. Prepare that fattened calf. Love extravagantly. Church, persevere in love. Be proud and boastful in love and give undeserving love because that's the love of our great Father and that's the love that we should mirror and display. When you understand this love, when you get this love, it frames for us a picture of who God is. And when we know God, it helps us to live out the most important thing in the whole world of knowing God, of loving God and to love like God. Church, let's heat up the barbecues. Let me pray. Music team might want to come back up and we'll sing one last song before we go out the back. And men, please stay around. Everyone, please stay around because I, I've stuck my head in out the back. I know it's wrong. And there's all sorts of food and treats for every single man here today. So let's enjoy it and embrace it. Father God, thank you for undeserving love. Lord, thank you that you persevere with us. You love us when we don't deserve it. Lord, help us to heat that barbecue up, to love prophetically, to understand that out of love, relationships can and will be restored. Lord, there's no relationship that's too far gone that your love can't come in and resurrect. 
Lord, we pray for people here today, for people with broken relationships with their fathers. Lord, we pray for restoration, broken relationships with mothers and spouses and children and friends and aunties and uncles and co-workers. Lord, help us to love those people relentlessly, recklessly even. Help us to persevere. Help us to love undeserving so that we could love like you love. Lord, we thank you for the celebration that will come as those things that are lost are restored. In your mighty name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Resonate Podcast. Jesus, my love, my God.